Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Harry from London, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if you could body swap with anyone for a week, who would it be and why? Okay, here comes the show, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizza, Hello! And a mix of a very, very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Harry from London's question. If you could body swap with anyone for a week, who would you body swap with and why? Dane, I think we maybe talked about this a bit a while back with James Acaster actually, but have you have you got any thoughts on a on a week week in someone else's body? Who do you fancy? Um right now, I would I think I said this before, I'd be like Jeff Bezos and give it away. So give it away. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd give it away. Well, I'd give it away and I would put it into like various trusts for impoverished kids. So like you'd have like Syrian refugees, they'd be turning 18 and then a million pounds kapow in their account. Everyone's like, how are these previously oppressed people now washed with fucking wealth? Why, Jeff Bezos? Why? And I'd be like, because fuck you, that's why. How about that? I'd just go with Cristiano Ronaldo, but I, I respect your decision. Uh, I respect your decision, Dave. But Howard, to with s- Cristiano Ronaldo money, <laughs> with, with Jeff Bezos money, you just clone your own Cristiano Ronaldo and you can body swap into that yourself, even when the spell is done, Howard. You've got to think yeah. these things through realistically. I wasn't, I wasn't pushing that hard, mate. Sorry. But look, I'm, you know what? Just suffice to say, we ask and answer all the questions. Absolutely. And thank you very much for that question, Harry. Great question. Uh, keep them coming. Guys, uh, who listen to the podcast, and if you do enjoy the show, remember that no question is too big, small, or stupid. And if you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, you'll never miss an episode, or subscribe to us on ACAST, the world's biggest podcast network where you get to see all of our amazing and very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a Franco-Irish journalist, filmmaker, and writer. Her documentary, City of Refuge, examined the plight of Syrian refugees in Lebanon and appeared on BBC Radio 4 and BBC World Service. A Channel 4 documentary, The Truth About Muslim Marriage, was nominated for Best Investigative Documentary in 2018. In 2019, she started the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast, pioneered conversations about structural whiteness in the UK, and is also a former columnist at The New Statesman. Her writing is featured widely in the British press, including The Guardian, The Telegraph, CNN, and The Middle East Eye. Please welcome to the show, the magnifique Miriam Francois. Hello, bonjour. Howard? Oh, yes, bonjour, much better. Yes, I did. I did spend many years in higher education so that I could insist on people using the term doctor. Do you force people? Do you force people to say it? You know what? You don't force it, but I think if I were male, it would be standard. Whereas exactly, I'll be honest with you, man. as a female, I do have to consistently be like, yeah, so I'm on this panel because of the DR in front of my name. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do occasionally. I do, yeah, I do I do think that there are differences in people, how, how you're treated um, mm. according to gender when you have a DR. You are the second DR we've had on the show. And both have been uh, women. Uh, the, the the first was Dr. Shirley Thompson, mm-hmm. a wonderful composer and great kind of... Dr. Shirley uh, Thompson, OBE. OBE oh, as wow. well. Shit, I'm getting these all wrong, Dave. Apologies. <laughs> That's also an important one. <laughs> yeah, 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 they do like that. Yeah, uh, we're, very, we're very big on honorifics here. And so if we're going to present the flowers like we'd like to do, Howard, I want to make sure that the bouquet was arranged correctly. Because, you know, yeah. Dr. Francois, as well as I'm having a uh, doctor of philosophy, also has two masters. Wow. And that PhD is from Oxford, so we ain't playing the games out here, Howard. 
You must have written a lot of essays, I imagine, Miriam. Uh, I've, I have read a, a good fair share of essays. But um, yeah. look, I'll be honest with you. I'm the only person in my family. I've got two brothers who has a degree. Um, and I do have to put it out there that having a degree, uh, particularly a degree from Oxbridge, doesn't make you any cleverer than your siblings. Uh, otherwise, I will be pilloried at the next family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just, yeah, I get it all the time anyway. Oh, you think you're smart. No, I really don't. I know that there's a lot of ways to learn things and books is just one of them. Uh, okay. Well, Doctor, you should try being a comedian and having people sit at a table when you're supposed to be the funniest person in the room and seeing how well that goes down. Oh, that, that's quite, that is quite the expectation. Yeah, I could see that. The expectation is that you'll always be bested. People literally come to dinner parties with their best material to have a conversation with you, not realizing oh that all you want to do is go home. That's that, that actually that actually sounds like the opposite of comedy, although it could just be dark comedy. Well, There's definitely a sketch in there. Oh, well, Doctor, as I'm sure you're aware, that most of the time, most people, we're, we're living in a uh, supposed civilized world where men no longer will do alpha displays of dominance in order to control a room or the leverage of power within a room. So, Oh, they will. But... <laughs> well, not with other men, though. So most people aren't going to get into a scrap. But what they do is that you, normally humor is used by men who I guess wouldn't be perceived as alpha dominant. So they'll use jokes and wit instead of using uh, oh, aggressive states no. of dominance, you know, in the same way that like you say, hello, I'm Dr. Francois. And then they go, here's a joke. Oh, you're a doctor. Right? Where's your stethoscope? And you go, and your mum to crack up your mum's ass. And then they go, yes. Well, actually my favorite one is usually people will go, oh, right. You're a PhD from Oxford. Did you know X, Y, and Z, which I probably don't know. Cause guess what? I don't know everything. And then they turn around and go, oh, right. I would have expected someone like you to know about that. Right, yeah, okay. We, we, can play, we can play that game if you want. That's what I'm saying. Well, but let, the expectation let, you, you are going to lose. You are going to lose, but sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, where? Just continue with this line of thinking. I guess if you get sick, Dr. Dre can come and fix your fucking lungs then. What are you talking about? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Although he would be a great person to call in an emergency, just not a medical one. Oh, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I think, I think also I like to rate a lot of people by if I was sat next to them at a wedding for dinner, would I be able to fill the time? Uh, and I would with you, Miriam, both of you, actually, Dane. Uh, oh, if we, if we didn't know each other, if we didn't know each other, and it was like, oh, hey, tell me about yourself. You know, I've got you for like, what, best part of an hour and a half, two hours? Like, let's see if we can make this time pass, you know, without awkwardness. Um, I think we'd be all right. I think you've got enough, couldn't, you know, got enough different things we can talk about on, based upon your background. So um, it might not be, you know, hilarious all the time. Uh, potentially, well, especially but, uh, if you're sat next to Dane, but sure. <laughs> see, see, and that's exactly what I mean. Exactly what I mean. It's the, it's the initial this presumption. Oh, Dane's sitting next to us. He'll be here for the jokes. What? Because I didn't have to get up at six o'clock in the morning to drive for this damn wedding too. So yeah, but yeah, it would be all right. We could just talk. Uh, if I if I didn't know Dane, which is a weird thing to think about, and I sat next to him at a wedding, I just talked to him about the, the comedy shows I like. So that'd be actually, right. it, um, to be fair, that actually, actually but, um, would be all right. Can't be argued that. I'm sure, he'd yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas I've had times where it's been really not great. But anyway, we won't go into that now. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates. Absolutely. Um, and as our very esteemed guest and uh, long-awaited guest, Doctor. First of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. First, so this has been. Uh, a long time in the making so thank you very much oh yes one good turn deserves another no thank you for coming on it was uh, it was a real pleasure i mean I, I yeah as you introduced me i do present a podcast called we need to talk about whiteness for people who want to know more about the concepts um you can check it out spotify itunes absolutely subscribe please subscribe <laughs> some good stuff on there guys and uh, yeah it's definitely built on the conversations that we have on question everything in terms of the definition of whiteness what that means ideologically as well as physically so check out all of dr uh, miriam's work but now as our esteemed guests uh we thank you for coming on the podcast uh and we invite you to ask the first question which can be any question you would like which we will all discuss for about 15 minutes or some change then how to ask a question which we'll also discuss and then lather rinse repeat i will ask a question and then we all go off into the sunset on towards greatness does it sound like a plan to you dr francois Sounds like a fantastic plan. I have been thinking on my question for many years now, and I'm very delighted to bring it to a wider audience. My question is, what do you wish that you'd been told about life that you had to learn for yourself? Mm. That is, can, I ask what, can I ask what inspired that question? Yes. 
there is a story behind that question, okay. uh, which is obviously that I have felt for many years now that um, I have reached a point that people regard me as an adult. Um, this has been quite an um, interesting thought because I am still con- in consideration of myself as a, in the process of growth. Um, but I know that as an adult, you're expected to know things like, um, you know, taxes and, um, finance and, um, medical questions, like what your NHS number is. And <laughs> it just struck me, um, over the last couple of years that no one really gave me the 101 on, you know, adulting and what that would actually entail. Um, no one really particularly gives you the adulting on becoming a parent. So I'm, I'm, I'm a parent to my son. He's seven years old. Yeah, no one, no one, no other women don't tell you the truth about what happens when you have a child, which is the immediate loss of all freedom. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many areas of life that I felt like that. Did anyone sit you down and say, you know, if one day you want to buy a house, this is what you'll need to do? Did anyone sit you down and say, you're going to have to put some money aside for a pension when you're older, start doing this? No, no one even told me how to do taxes. No one told me how to, you know, how money works. Did anyone explain how money works to any of you? Did we have a class in school that was like, this is how money works if you want to make, you know, good decisions? No, I just had, I just had business studies where I, I, got, I got taught how to do a profit and loss account, which I've never used. <laughs> uh, well, glad, glad you took that class then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great question, hey, Dane. It's, it's, uh, and I think it's one that I imagine you've got multiple it's, answers. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a really good question. I will say, to, uh, Dr. Francois, that uh, I would theorise the reason why most people don't sit you down and explain these uh important and uh, some of the more significant aspects of the human, uh, or yeah, I guess the human existence or modern life is because most people don't know themselves and they really are just mucking their way through. And because they don't know themselves, what they tend to do by rationalizing it is either just plodding along and acquiescing to their, what they believe to be their social and human obligations, or they project onto somebody else. And instead of someone actually sitting you down and advising you like you are their equal, they project their own, Envy onto you and be like, don't do what I did. Don't be a single mother. You know, it was hard for me. And they do rather than actually having a structured conversation with somebody where they, uh, you know, I, I, I basically believe we also, you're, I, I agree with you. And uh, the reason why people don't um, tell you this stuff is because, uh, well, the, the, the psychiatry industry would be kind of bankrupt, number one, um, or the psychology industry would for kind sure. of be bankrupt because a lot of the, uh, tools that we learn when we are recounting our life and the traumas that lead us to the positions we're in in life come from the fact that, like, yeah, no one tells us this shit. So I definitely, you know, I'm going to really think this is a wonderful question. It's actually very interesting to hear you talk about a lot of kind of pragmatic stuff, um, uh, Miriam, because um, hmm. um, in some sense, I think that is the, the, the most natural um, thing to approach uh, because. You basically you end up with a load of things as an adult that you don't want to have to do, but exactly you, you, right. you you learn to do them right. That's the the very kind of fundamental basis. But um, I think the reality for me uh, and uh, hey, we're all just individuals living our lives as best we can, eh? And uh, and try not to ruin everyone else's uh, is just is, is my general thesis on life. Um, is 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 I wish I had been told uh, that when I became an adult. I would need to take the time to enjoy it. That's a now, great point. And I, I really have noticed that in lockdown this year because um, it's a little bit like I'm going to make a noise. Uh, listen, <sighs> like I'm a little bit like that. <sighs> and I'm like, you know, it's quite busy. Uh, my job, uh, yeah. pod- podcast. Um, I've got a seven month old child. Um, trying to keep the kind of keep the house together. Um, kind of keep friends and family sane in phone calls and stuff, you know. And 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 also finish the Sopranos. Um, mm. yeah, and so kind of, you got all these things going on in your life. And and I just think that you know you kind of always. Next, 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 next. And actually, it's the most incredibly powerful thing when you can sit, as I'm, I am sometimes do when I'm on the podcast and uh, I'm just listening to Dane or one of our guests talk and just sit back and realise that you get to live a life that is pretty, pretty great. Yeah, and compared to 90% of the world, you are living other people's dreams in so many ways um and we we absolutely don't realize that day to day and and you know it's part it is something that i think about a lot i, I mean i'm muslim and in our faith the concept of gratitude is 
constantly reiterated like it's something that you're meant to incorporate in every single aspect almost every minute of your day um and like you in lockdown that's something that I try and really focus in on so that I don't feel completely like I'm drowning in the uncertainty of the times um which can be super overwhelming so I'm 100% with you um that no one actually sits you down and says if you keep just focusing on the summit then you never get to enjoy the climb and the climb is 99% of life. <laughs> yeah, and having the kid, I mean having the kid is is a real a real good one for that because you know, uh, anyone who listens to this show or that has a child or has had to look after a child knows that there's a period uh, where the child is asleep and you tend to look forward to that. Yes, uh, you do. Actually, I've had moments recently because he's 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 uh, started to crawl, uh, listeners, and he's starting to kind of like develop into a human thing rather than just a blob. Um, and uh, you kind of just have these magical moments where you just take a second, forget about the vomit and all of the stuff you've got to clear up, and his bedding that needs to be changed, and uh, yeah. the bath that you've got to run, and all, <laughs> all this and all the shit. washing you have to do, and all, yeah, all this. Shit. And, so imagine yeah. after all of that work you've both done, someone's going to turn around and go, "It's my life. Leave me alone." <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that. That is that is a Western disease. Uh, <laughs> that is a Western secular disease. I'm not having it well, in my I mean, household. It's, it's more, but it's, it's a human inclination in the same way that, like, you know, you are you are now an adult and responsible for somebody else. If I was to come and tell you, this is how I think you should raise your son, I'm very sure you would tell me what to do, and it would not or where to go, and you wouldn't give me a prescription because now you are an adult and you are a sentient being in control of your own faculties you wouldn't want anyone else telling you and it's just natural and it's really about a large question where you know humans we uh have a i guess we have a social obligation to humanity it's why we have our religion and stuff not just our own kids and it's just crazy that like you create something you are a part of something that person has your genetic imprint or that has your dna but yet you really at some point will only be a guardian to that person rather than you know them being a possession which i think is one of the things that Mm. i find a lot of people very hand very hard to kind of uh digest as a concept that, you know, you have ideas for what you want your child to be because essentially you are projecting uh, another version of it, a better version of self, basically with a blank canvas that you want to mold in your image because that's what happens when people tend to create something, uh, particularly life. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, that creation has free will. And even though and even though it might disappoint yeah. you, even though it might do things that are heinous, like, you know, you're still supposed to love your creation at some point and, uh, yeah, try and thrive in spite of that. The, do you know the poet Khalil Gibran? He wrote a poem about children in which he describes parents as the bow and children are the arrow. So as a parent, you can pull the string of the bow and you can point the arrow. But once you release it, where that arrow lands, obviously, is completely out of your control. And it's a beautiful poem. Um, I would recommend what an amazing it analogy. <laughs> that, is a, that is a sensation. And there you, and there you go. That's when it people say, why well, doesn't God answer prayers? It's like, have you heard the kind of things your kids ask for? You can't say yes to all of it. No, you cannot. And and um, I think that individualism, which is the, the kind of dominant outlook in our society, also inclines to that. Because actually, if you come from a philosophy that is much more communal uh, in outlook, your child is part of a wider group. And it, it, the responsibilities that you inculcate to that child are not just vis-a-vis you, vis-a-vis him or herself, but towards the wider whole. Um, and in that sense, you know, the, the idea that they're just out there to do whatever they want to do in life or, you know, to please you, it's not just either of those. It's like the, the third dimension to it is it, what are they giving back? What are they contributing to, to wider society? That's a really, really important um, dimension from, in my, in my, from my personal point of view. Very few, if no, parents actually consider because most people treat their kids as either an 18-year loan on someone else's life or a possession. So yeah, people don't think about it that way. Dane, um, what, have you had a chance to think of what you what you think uh, a good answer to this question is? Yeah, I, I, I do. The thing is, I guess I was fortunate, and it's probably had a large bearing on the way I think as an adult. Is because my dad used to just be very upfront with me and tell me most of the stuff I wanted to know when I was a kid, and the stuff I didn't know because I was very uh, inquisitive, I guess. So as far as the questions, I would ask them mm. a lot of the time as well. Um, the main questions, anyway, I think. So. I, yeah, I'd always get like through, through 
because I guess my parents are having a very, a very nuanced experience compared to a lot of parents, especially living in the UK. So it was kind of, uh, I was always going to have to get like a very straight and very blunt answer, which would have probably uh, removed a lot of uh, disillusionment in my life very early. So well, what about emotional um, intelligence? Because that's one that I feel like yeah. as a society. So, so much of our, um, so much of our day to day is engaging mm-hmm. with other humans. And yet at no point do we have education about emotions and about connecting with Ooh. other hu- people, understanding Ooh, human yeah. psychology, understanding that most of the time when people, like you'd said earlier, you know, vomit their emotions onto you. It's not actually about About you. It's often about things they're dealing with. And then we perpetuate the cycle and keep throwing that vomit onto other people. I mean, that's the one thing I wish someone told me about how heartbreak feels, but how would they describe it? So that's where the one thing I'd want to know would be like, what it's like to have a broken heart because you probably wouldn't be able to articulate that to me when I was an adolescent because I'd be like, who's breaking my heart, bruv? I'm getting money. But... (laughs) But, but I have an experience of having my first loving relationship end. Did you never listen to R&B? Yeah, but, even, but I, I, listen, I, listen to, I listen to it intensely. I think boys to men that's, that's did a couple of lessons in this. I listen to it, inten- I listen to it intensely. And that, and is a, and obviously it's a very, very uh, cathartic practice to listen to the music that kind of like, you know, articulates that. But it still is, but listening, yeah. but remember, if I had no frame of reference when I used to listen to R&B, it's like, this is a good song and I like the way they've articulated it, but... Hearing a song and feeling a song are two very different things. So the way mm. a song would sound before I had my heart broken, the way a song sounds after is two very different things. And so, yeah, so I, I, I listen to it all the time, which is probably why it was even more crushing because I'm like, I'm following the rules in these damn songs. So how could I fuck this up? So so <laughs> I, I feel like that, that's one. But I think it's a conversation. That's, that is probably the conversation that people, particularly cishet men, need more than anything else is how to mend a broken heart. So I probably would say that is probably what I wish I, I was mm. told when I was younger, because I think most men, like I can tell you for, for free, the catalyst for most men to develop toxic toxicity in their masculinity begins with heartbreak as the catalyst. I, I'm sure that's probably true. Although I have to say that as a woman, I do feel that it's, also just swimming in the sea of patriarchy, which is imbibed in every fibre of our society. And so mm. um, it's very difficult to... Uh, one event obviously may, um, uh, I suppose, deepen that experience. When it does happen, because men lack the emotional intelligence and the tools in order to either articulate or to begin repair of that trauma, they tend to uh, yes. identify politically with patriarchy a lot more following that. Mm, okay, so I hear you on that. And I think this was an interesting conversation I was having recently with someone who was saying, you know, we women, we basically have constant mm-hmm. therapy, right? Every single time you see a girlfriend, you will get the one-on-one on their state of heart, state of mind, like, bare. They will give it to you raw. Every single thing they're going through, every emotion, we will dissect it. We will pick it apart. I'll give my opinion. They'll give their opinion. We'll bounce it back and forth. We'll listen to a few songs, see what that might have to say wisdom-wise. And we will, we will put in the effort to pulling those emotions apart and understanding them. I recently had the joy of um, being around um, a group of, of uh, men, all socially distanced, obviously, um, and observing that um, the conversation, there was no conversation. Well, see, this is, this is, that's ironic for me because when I was growing up, I would find myself at adversity with men because I was always described as being effeminate and being too loquacious about my feelings because I, I mm. was with someone who's like, I don't like that shit. And this is how that shit makes me feel. And so normally it'd be like that I was... And everyone looked at their phone. Well, yeah. I mean, this is before phones. So everyone would just be looking, was literally pointing before at me. Yeah. I've, 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 I didn't... Well, I, I didn't grow up with any other male cousins or brothers. So all of my points mm. and all of the paradigms of discourse I had when I was growing up were with women. So it was always seems natural. But I think it served you. I think it served you so well. Well, this is why man. now I'm not getting towards my forties and about to be on the cusp of a nervous breakdown because I've been able to talk about and rationalize and articulate my feelings, or at least knowing if I am dealing with any issue of toxicity or aggression, I can, I understand where that stems from. So mm. yeah. Mm. And, and also I can testify that, countless female participants of this podcast or in the comedy industry have so much love for Mr. Dane Baptiste. Uh, and that will be partly what you, uh, what your upbringing uh, and your, the, what you were just describing. Well, and also, and also, and also a broken heart, man. And I say that, and the reason why, like I said, I said that's so important to learn is because 
it's a very egalitarian uh, experience. And so, for example, yeah. I don't, I couldn't be where, you know, some of my peers where I grew up may have their misgivings about like, you know, homosexual relationships or gay marriage, for example. Me, I'm like, mm. listen, if you know what it's like to have your heart broken and to feel alone and to feel like you've lost love, you wouldn't stand in the way of that for anybody. That is one of the, uh, such a great, I think we could do the whole episode just about that question, mm. couldn't we, Dane? It's wonderful. Thank you for bringing that to us. Uh, My pleasure. Right, yeah, no, I'm, I, I will continue to uh, seek answers, but thank you for your contribution. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 it's kind of quite an uplifting question in some ways, actually, because it's so self-reflective. And um, uh, I'm, I'm potentially about to do not that. The listeners... Um, would have heard in your introduction, you know, you you have looked at some very uh, major uh, issues in, in in your you know documentary work uh, around Muslim marriage, um, Syrian refugees, and obviously your podcast looks at kind of whiteness. And I mean, look, you you are a politically um, uh, savvy, aware human being, and um, and I thought this was an opportunity to talk about one subject that I know causes great controversy and 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 then this podcast can can be useful to kind of offer some kind of nuanced conversation about immigration and my question is you know what is the uh best approach moving forward in a post covid world to uh, what has been termed the immigration crisis. And you can obviously say to me, maybe to you that you don't think it is a crisis, but obviously in, in many people's eyes it is. And um, I'd love to hear where, where, where your kind of, your your opinion lies on that, uh, Dr. Miriam. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I mean, I, you might have heard that in the wake of the pandemic, the UK population has shrunk by 1.3 million. It's an unprecedented exodus of foreign workers. It's the largest fall in the UK population since the Second World War. So uh, the subject of immigration is about to come back on the agenda in a big way. And obviously, post-Brexit, we are talking about a different form of immigration because um, up until this point, we had free movement of people, which meant I could go back to my countries of origin uh, freely and you could go to Spain uh, for your uh, you know, holiday to Ibiza without having to have a visa. Um, now, obviously, we're looking at a very different situation um, and uh, the rules for coming to the UK are going to be very different. And I suspect that the the makeup of immigration is going to look quite different. And the, 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 the immigration debate has for... So there are two components I think are probably worth taking into consideration. One are, is the argument of people like my brother who works in construction, who, you know, is probably part of a much wider group who will say, look, we work in an industry where wages are forced down by immigrant labourers who will accept terms uh, much lower than the ones that we would accept and therefore we're then being driven out of jobs, right? And and that's a reality. And I think it's uh, something that we have to listen to. You know, um, it's what drove my youngest brother to vote Brexit. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's closer to home than you. No, think. no, I, I, I know and, as um, well. I've 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 done gigs where the half of them are like, "We voted to leave," and I'm like, "You're all Nigerians." But all right. Yeah, and 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 so the when we know places like Luton, right, voted majority um, Brexit when you know you wouldn't necessarily expect an uh, an area which is itself indebted to immigration to vote 
against Brexit. But so I think there's there's one side of the story that does need to be listened to. And otherwise we end up um, where the US is today with a, a society that's so deeply polarized that no one can understand the other. Like it, it's literally like there is a divide so deep that you know, the, the dehumanization is... is in- That point is so in, in, important to me in this conversation because, because the... the and, I, and listeners and everyone, I'm, I'm aware that this is a difficult thing to take, but people like Nigel Farage and Donald Trump who have used their, posi- you know, immigration to gain power have done so in a callous and entirely dishonourable way. But the, the conversation that, that... There is a conversation that people can have about immigration that doesn't need to be... On Racist. those terms, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doesn't, well, you can, yeah, you, you, yeah it, 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 on those terms where you're kind of trying to make people into the enemy. It's, it's a, you know, and, and particularly the American one, which is, you know, let's, you know, you can look at South America, yes, and categorically understand uh, many, many decades of foreign policy, not just America, but predominantly America, yeah. have led to humanitarian problems that have led to people wanting to flee those countries. And there's always that thing that I... <laughs> it's awkward, you know, to say this, but, like, I'm a Jew, so it's kind of easier in some ways. But, like, you know, when some people say, oh, you know, you, you, that whole you, go back to your own country thing. And I'm like, I, sometimes I hear that. And I think I think a lot of people would quite like that if, the, if that country was how they wanted it to be, mm. you know? This country's really cold. <laughs> yeah. You know, Britain is really cold. I don't think everyone really wants to be here uh, all, all, all the time. But it, obviously some of what this country offers is, just intangibly, you know, powerful to people's lives. A hundred percent. And there's a lot here that people, you know, having had the privilege of traveling for work to, you know, all corners of the world and seeing, you know, it's, it's a bit like how I feel about the vaccine conversation. I've traveled to places where people would beg you for vaccines that we get for free so that their children don't die. <laughs> we we take for granted so many things and in fact for me brexit in many ways was a was a, i think a vote of the un, uh, ungrateful for me it's the ultimate haughtiness of a society that believes that things can never get worse and that is only true of people who don't know how bad life can actually get and incredible sentence it's, that is it's a fact sentence. i'm sorry to say it because i i wish that i could show people how bad it can get and that so much of what we have fought for uh, in this country and um, acquired through unlawful means as well um, are are things that now people just think are going to be there forever. And I think that we are now seeing a rollback on so many things. I mean, today we, I mean, poverty being one of them, you know, we now know with COVID almost 700,000 people driven into poverty, 120,000 children. It's almost 23% of the population in, in, in the UK now living in poverty. You, unless you've lived in poverty, you cannot possibly enter the conversation on this debate, in my opinion. Only people who know poverty, only people who haven't had enough food in their cupboards, who haven't been able to feed their kids, who've had to choose between heating and lighting are allowed to speak on this one. Because if you haven't, you're making a gamble on things that you take for granted every day. And that's not okay. You're not allowed to make that decision about other people's lives. You're not allowed to say, I can have these things and it's normal. And other people have to choose between heating and food. It's, in my opinion, grotesque. And and it's so important to talk about it in this kind of way. I mean, Dane, I was talking to someone the other day who said to me, they think the, the people in history will look back on this time and suggest that immigration was the biggest issue we faced. Um, I, I, I quite frankly am fucking tired of hearing people talk about immigration. From a semantic perspective, there is no conversation to be had by anybody in the West about fucking immigration. Because even if you do articulate your worst fears about immigration, how are those different to any form of colonialism that you have displayed, which allowed you to acquire all of the resource uh, wealth that you have in the first place? So if people are worried about immigration, don't go to their fucking countries in the first place. And then you won't create this vacuum right. of the resource deficiency and brain drains in the form of acquiring labor because while everyone is remaining subservient to the system of capitalism you're going to have to have immigration because if you are if you are going to create a system of global capitalism which we have done since the 90s 
Therefore, if money is now able to freely cross borders and exchange in currency markets, you're going to have the same thing with labor markets because that's what capitalism is. It's the exploitation of labor and resources for capital gain. So if you want to continue this exploitation, you're going to have to be able to facilitate that through the movement of people. So at some point, these two worlds are going to meet whereby your labor needs to be able to move in order for you to realize economic growth because that's how we even measure economic growth. Within our current capitalist system, without immigration, your economy is not able to grow. So... There is no conversation to be had about immigration whatsoever because the inconvenient truth for all people who express their misgivings about, about immigration is if everybody was supposed to live in their indigenous countries, which they're indigenous to, and to subsist of their indigenous resources, the West would just collapse. That's the end of it. 100%. There's no conversation to be fucking had. They, 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 if England had to subsist on its own resources, it would collapse. Even now, as Brexit begins to take firm hold and people talking about fishing and they were lied to, you don't even have the industrial competence to, to, to provide a fishing industry anyway. Even if you got your fishing back, there's not enough people with competitive competence to do it. There's no conversa conversation, conversation for all of this stuff. And really, this is, a, for me, it's just a part of a larger conversation just about global capitalist white supremacy anyway. Because in the same way that if you were enjoying free trade and a free market, then you wouldn't have excise and tariff duties and other systems of protectionism that allow for the West to remain economically competitive with more resource-rich nations. That, again, itself is about loading the dice in your favor. There is no conversation to be had. Even if you are having the conversation about the availability of work within the West, with the rise of automation and the ability to outsource labor and, again, continue to exploit it outside of the borders of your own country, your brother is not going to have a fucking job in five years anyway. When people talk about this, again, we are all also beginning to drift into this idea that capital, capitalism is a function of you get out what you put in. That is also not how it works because one of the boons of people is a complete myth because one of the boons of enjoying immigrant labor or enjoy, enjoying foreign labor or outsourcing labor is you are not beholden to collective bargaining. Whereas most English people who are saying stuff like we want our rights back, by you even saying that, you already don't have an idea about how the rest of the global workforce works. Because if you go anywhere else in, the, in Asia, for example, and talk about I want an hour break, you're going to get punched in the face. Well, yeah, or like we saw with the iPhone factories in China, right, where instead of listening to complaints from workers that they were overworked, the company simply put up netting outside the windows to prevent suicide. So you could still jump, but you wouldn't die. So, so then not only that, you can't escape. And even if you look at the presence of tech and how tech is now manifesting physically within the working world, if you go to Google or these places, they have a creche, they have a restaurant, they have sleeping quarters, you are not leaving the premises. So in order for you to become competitive, your employment or your, your basic industrial identity is going to change significantly. It's not going to be enough for you to just go to a building site, do your work and go home. You stay there. Because mm. now multinationals have replaced nations in terms of the amount of financing and the ability they have in order to remunerate their citizens. And more than any government can now. So if you go and work for a private company as an employee, now because you are no longer protected by EU labour laws, you stay in where the fuck you're working. You don't leave the building site until it's fixed. You know, you touched on kind of the pyramid shape of capitalism, which is essentially a, a small elite. I mean, we're sold the, 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 the myth of meritocracy um, we were even sold it from some of the figures of the American dream, you know, um, and that the, the problem with that, of course, is that it relies on today a global underclass uh, being exploited. They we have because they have not. And when they come knocking on our doors saying, uh, guys, uh, we, we can see what you guys have got. Uh, we, we'd like some. Plus, you keep talking about universal human rights. So we are we not universal? Are we not human? <laughs> Do we not get in on this? And the answer is no. The, the answer is no, because if you want to maintain the standards that you have now, then you're not going to be able to do that by expanding that wealth to the whole globe. That's just not going to happen. So you, so we do have to have a conversation around what it is that you really want. And I feel like this is where the conversation then ends up with, you know, well, it's either kind of, you know, no borders, redistribution to everyone, um, you know, let's go back to living much simpler lives, which, you know, ultimately mm. we might... Tricky, tricky things for the average person. To get yeah, around, exactly. So, I don't know what I don't know why the average person can't plant food anyway. So what fuck do they care? They're not doing anything anyway. Most of their life is going to be subsisted by technology as it is. So we've already had a massive regression whereby, listen, you two are talking about how can people go back? We have the internet yet and people are tweeting that the earth is flat, even though a satellite is required for them to convey this message 
to the world, they're saying that the earth is flat. So they've not got that far for them to have to go back. That's how I see it. So there's no no conversation about the issue of immigration. Immigration still being an issue. All it is is that the term immigrant has now been used as the former umbrella term for the N-word and the P-word. That is why immigrant. Because no one cares about immigrants from former Yugoslavia. No one really cares about immigrants from South Africa that are returning to repatriate the UK after being kicked out. They care about the Poles, though, because my so my brother's girlfriend is Polish, and um, uh, you know the Poles have got their fair share of abuse. I also know some Romanian uh, friends who would say that the, the Romanians who would be perceived so whiteness obviously is down to perception, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. but the, there's obviously a gradient of whiteness. Like some people are are considered white white. I would call like uh, you know Jacob Rees Mogg would be white white. Well, yeah, yeah. It's very, no, whiteness is very easy to identify because yeah. this is a hierarchy. And at the top of the hierarchy would be white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Yes. Below them would be white Catholics, yeah. like the Irish or yeah. the Italians. Or, and then below them, potentially, you would have, yeah, well, the Europeans. We're the Jews. The Jews need to get in yeah, here. Yeah. Well, well, it's not, it's not third, Howard. It's not third. <laughs> we're okay? not third. We're not gonna third. Because you're we, also... Cause, we've probably gone up the ladder a bit. If you want to look at the hierarchy, last century. Are, you just need to look at Sasha Baron Cohen's work and all the people he makes fun mm. of, the Jews will be under them. And even then, really, oh, we're talking about Ashkenazi Jews who would be based in Europe, where Sephardic mm. Jews who maybe have yeah. more uh, Mediterranean or, East, or Middle Eastern we'll typically will have a different experience yeah, as with Ashkenazi sure. Jews. Yeah. So it's and more about you being a, 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 East, a, a Jew of Eastern European origin, Howard. That's because... By the same token, a Romanian, Romanians being from in, in the China or, or Indo, Indo-European origin can look very dark, you know, as dark as someone who is black, but also can be very pale. So even being yeah. Romanian. I mean, that's, that's the most um, enthralling uh, version of kind of tackling immigration I've heard for a long time, Dane. And um, mm. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pass it over to Dane for the final question of today's show that has been one of the most... Uh, Brilliant, deep, divey ones we've had for a while. Sweet. Absolutely. And I was, I was in no way surprised. This, is, this has always been preempted through a previous podcast <laughs> with uh, Dr. Francois. Uh, that being said, uh, doctor, um, obviously being um, somewhat of a medical professional with a doctorate and, and several accommodations, including masters, and, uh, but also being very outspoken and being representative of your faith. Um, I imagine, and I'm sure you'll be able to clear this up in your answer, that there must be some kind of duality in terms of studying fields of uh, life sciences and the mind, as well as, you know, trying to always improve your connection with your own spirituality and with uh, the creator. So the question was, given the state of the world now, where do you think healing or solutions will come from, from a scientific or from a divine source? interesting one i'm not so i think that the binary of science versus religion is a very eurocentric debate i think that Mm -hmm. if you look at islamic history we have not had um that kind of a conflict Uh, the quran does not claim to be a scientific manual i would disagree with any muslim who tries to use it uh, to those ends And, and historically it hasn't really been used to those ends you know um uh, if you look at the Islamic empires throughout history, there's been periods of, of kind of thriving, scientific thriving, which have never really been at odds with religious authority, um, p- particularly because the spirit of inquisition from an Islamic perspective is kind of a dialectic between the exploration of the natural world and a return to textuality, which can continuously be reread in different ways. So there is no immutable meaning to the text. There is an immutable text, but a text that can be reread throughout history at different times with different bits of information that we can access that allows us to deepen our understanding of the world and through that of God. Um, hashtag him herself um, and so in terms of what I'm looking for in the you know what I'm looking at at this particular moment in time look I um, think that we are holistic beings we are beings that are mind body soul and we cannot um, discount any one aspect without it having a detrimental impact on the whole and I do think that Um, As individuals, when we lose touch of our spiritual nature, we lose a groundedness and a connection with the self. I think some people would call it the self. I would call it with God. Um, That conversation with the self, the conversation with the self about what what you stand for, who you aspire to be, what 
um, you know, some people would talk about it in terms of like the legacy you leave behind as a spiritual person. I look at it as the actions I put forward and which I'm accountable for in the future. So at an individual level, I feel like it's really important to, to have spirituality in order to be a centered and grounded uh, person and to retain a sense of humility of your place within the world. But as a society, I've never thought it's more urgent for us to reconnect with the divine. And I say that because I think we are um, a society which is now uh, no longer guided at all by ideology. Ideology is considered actually to be uh, a, a, a bad word. Uh, we are guided purely by capitalism, by actually the, the kind of final stages of really quite raw capitalism. And uh, when we do that, we lose sight of the human values, of the transcendental values that are, I think, uh, that stand on a higher rank than, you know, the accumulation of wealth. Um, and so that's where we get profit before people. Um, and so I do think that when you reconnect with the divine and you can call it whatever you like, I don't really have a monopoly on whatever you want to call that, but you are reconnecting with what is really, truly important to us as humans. And when we don't, we leave that conversation to the economy. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> amazing. I'll an amazing stop talking answer. now because I feel like that was quite a long answer, but yeah. No, 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 no answer is too no answer is too short or inappropriate either. So, I mean, that, that, that's perfect. I mean, that, yeah, because I, I was just trying to work it out because, and you kind of covered it is whereby, like you said, we have now uh, kind of um, turned our back on and tend to reject ideology, even though that's normally the basis for whole human existence and advancement. But yeah, I just think it's been a long sustained campaign from the powers that be to emphasize capitalism. So, you know, people don't tend to act or even think about how to act or, or innovate without it be providing some kind of, financial or fiscal reward yeah which is just an insane way to move because it's a fucking religion itself yes it is and it's a it, and sadly it also means that it we have then a degradation in the value we attribute to people who are extremely good and diligent at doing jobs that are not profitable and because they are not prof profitable jobs they're jobs that are then looked down on and i'm much more inclined to look at um you know particularly in eastern philosophy the idea that whatever job it is that you're doing and we have this principle in islam as well like whatever job that you're doing it you should always do it uh, you know we say for the sake of god and when we do it for the sake of god we do it with excellence in mind whatever it is that you're doing you could be sweeping a street you could be running a huge company whatever it is you have to be doing it with excellence in mind but if we only attribute value to those jobs that have uh, large monetary payouts then we degrade the input of people who are doing really important jobs but that are not well paid and that includes mothering actually and i would um, point to a degradation of uh, motherhood as a role as linked to the lack of monetary value associated with um, and actually the monetary loss associated with becoming a mother. I mean, and, and and that is the level of how far we have sunk as a society, as if we're kind of like, yeah, but all they do is make sure that we uh, survive. Mm, what? Yeah. I, That's where we are, a society where it's like, why are we going to pay women to when they're having babies? That's how you fucking get here. Yes. To earth. Yes. You fucking idiots. Yes. Yeah. That's how you get here. Said, if they, if, they, if your mother is not doing well, you won't get here very well. Yes. How, what's, what, how can you go to a private school and not understand that fucking concept? Yeah. It's called Mother Earth for a reason, right? And uh, Mother Nature. But I mean, it's interesting the thing you said and about if, and jobs. If, if your Christian God didn't need women, why the fuck did he involve Mary anyway? He could have just stood it through Joseph's bum, priest then. Couldn't he? Because it's God. He can do anything. So why he would have chosen the immaculate conception, he obviously recognises the importance of women's role, even in giving birth to his own fucking son. The point you made about work really mm. resonates with me, Miriam, because... I have, for the past year, been kind of leading a, a very you know small production company, or you know kind of trying to build projects for TV and digital platforms, and doing our thing, and 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 kind of you know had not had to answer to as many people as I have in the past, and actually reminded me about um, you know early stages of my career where I, I, you know, people in, outside of the television industry know that the, the first job you do is a runner. Uh, it's called you're called a runner, and yes. you basically make the tea and pick up parcels and all that stuff, and also and spurn the sexual advances of creepy talent. Yes, 
Not it's not for not for me, but I'm sure someone did. I'm sure somebody would have solicited you. At no, once. I can't remember anyone. But but the uh, but the, um, the, the, the the kind of I remember doing that job and actually being quite good at it. Like I was I was kind of you know because I, I can talk to people right. So like part of the problem with some people doing that job at the early stages of their career or. or professional lives is they feel very nervous and they're kind of worried about talking to people. And that actually makes it the whole process of that job a bit awkward where I, I just talk to anyone. So I just, you know, kind of chat with whoever. And, you know, usually it meant that it helped me. I think it actually helped me develop my career really. Cause the, the person who was in charge was like, Oh yeah, he's all right. Cause he, you know, he can mm. talk to us. Um, and, and also not fuck up my tea. Um, and, and, and those kind of things, yeah, well, those kind of things when I look back on it now, I kind of think actually, you know, I've never ever stopped being incredibly kind deliberately most of the time to the person in those positions because I know that that they 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 obviously don't want to do that for the rest of their life and in television that that's that's a very clear uh Progression. Now, that's not to say that everyone ends up doing my job. They might end up being a cameraman, right. an editor. Um, they might work in, you know, the management of the productions. They do all manner of jobs, right? But the, the, the nature of it is that when you start in that career, you're not there to do that job at the start, right? The, the, the rest, you're not here for 20 years to be a runner, right? Uh, in, in every other industry, not in, well, in a lot of other industries, that isn't the case. You're not going to have a natural progression, but people want it. And it's not healthy always, right? Because it's not going to be there for everyone. Not everyone's going to go from the first step on the ladder to the to the top of it. And by the idea that somehow that's that is the only mm. point of what we do. But but see, but here but here's what the paradox is: is that in order for that person to validate their position or elevate position of power, they can't do that unless we recognise it. So it's this is the thing. This is this is this is almost one of the. Uh, semantic privileges of being a black person is that you see firsthand that you can be awarded a title or status or prestige, but it doesn't mean people have to respect it because I can be making more than any policeman anywhere, but he'll always take a position of superiority just because of the function of white supremacy, irrespective of who I am. Even if I'm a member of parliament or for that, just based on, on, on appearance, I'm going to be treated a particular way. And then also the thing is, I always I would say that to say this is because you know, you say you treat everyone the same because everyone is exactly the same. Because if someone professes or postulates about their position and says, I'm the manager, and we go, so, then their power is diminished. <laughs> so it's a weird thing where it's like yeah. people will try and abuse their power, but it's like this power, the power of your abuse or your abuse of your power or to lord over me only comes from the fact that I recognise that power. Mm. Well, and, and, and I also think that there's that thing, and, and listen, I bet you both can tell me you've seen this in tele, tele or media that there's that person who treats the person that's the runner or the tea maker like shit, probably mm. never had to do it. Or no, uh, or they know they probably did have to do it and they were so crushed and, they make it, and it's about making the decision if they are going to be a victim of their experiences or a product of them. So what people tend to do is, maybe. because a, a lot of the time, it's what they say, hurt people that's hurt people. Right. A lot of people that are... Yeah, perpetual, exactly. So what it's, a lot of time, how it's people that have themselves been bullied throughout their life and then, and then they, they, mm. and they try to rationalize it by recreating the same paradigm. But this time, now that they have the position of control over the trauma, then it's fine. In the same way that sometimes mm. women who are victims Maybe. of sexual trauma enjoy sex to be slightly rougher because it's like, well, now if I recreate the paradigm and I'm in control of it, then it's no longer traumatic. And it's almost like you're revisiting the same situation. But this time it's like having a lucid dream, but this time I'm in control of what's happening or in that, mm. in that paradigm, I now have the position of power of oppressor. Problem with that being is that by you doing that, is that you are validating the actions of your oppressor or you are validating your trauma because you're like, now, if you was in a position of power, you would do the right. same thing. And, and this is where I guess to loop it back to the question around, um, you know, spirituality is that the, the accountability, the self-accountability that faith imposes on you. And I'm not saying that every person of faith is you know, more accountable than the next person that isn't of faith because there are plenty of people who don't have faith who are quite um, demanding of themselves in terms of accountability. But it is a precept within our religions to hold yourself accountable for your actions, regardless of how other people have treated you. And there are so many stories in our faith about somebody haughty and wealthy and powerful treating somebody 
poor um, in a bad way and actually that person turning out to be an angel or a messenger of God or, you know, somebody of a much higher spiritual status than themselves. And so I suppose... I am so grateful that there is that within our faith that that whoever it is that you're speaking to, you actually have no idea what their position is in the eyes of God. It may be, yeah, and it shouldn't, and it should not matter. And you shouldn't even, like I said, you shouldn't even have to rely on any external system of hierarchy for you to determine how you treat a human being. One hundred percent, because you recognise their innate humanity, which was God bestowed, and no one can remove that. That is something that you. That when you d- and that's why people are scared of Islam because they think it's actual socialism because well, everyone's the same in the eyes of God. That's what scares radi- them. So it is radical in that sense, and in it also calls for something which I feel is missing in our society that I speak a lot about, which is radical empathy, which is the idea that whoever yeah. that you're in front of, however much you disagree and dislike that person, the minute you fail to acknowledge their full humanity, you are in effect degrading your own humanity. And if we just held to that principle, anytime you encountered somebody who was, you know, what we call triggering in our, you know, current uh, parlance in these these affairs, you would recognize Mm. that there is something in that conversation which is blocking you from seeing the person in front of you. And if you could identify what that thing was, it would actually teach you more about yourself than about that person and about the work you have to do on yourself. But instead, we just, as you say, perpetuate. It's a tough task of a lot of people. Uh, it's much easier to throw stones than try and ascend the throne. Yeah, but so, that's what I think that yeah. that was partly where my first question, if you recall, about what do you wish others had mm-hmm. taught you it was, you know, I really wish that we'd been taught mm-hmm. that, you know, and I try and teach this to my son every time, you know, he'll say, oh, this kid did this, uh, said this thing that really upset me. And I usually say, you know, it's probably something that he's going through and he's just vomiting his pain on you. So you don't have to take that on board, you know. Or his parents are shit, <laughs> man. And if, if they tell me their names, we'll go to their doorstep tonight. What an absolutely brilliant, I hope our listeners have enjoyed that as much as I have because I think that's uh, such a great d- deep dive into so many things right Dane it's been a been a real joy today uh, with absolutely no surprise um, I am very happy for this meeting of mine Dr Thank Francois you, my pleasure. and uh, yeah it did not disappoint at all <laughs> and uh, however um, for the listeners if you're not aware uh, the doctor was obviously super prepared with four questions so uh, we would definitely like to have you back for a part two Gladly. I feel like 2021 Howard is going to be about a lot of part twos because we've had such interesting guests so early on in the year that um I'm well up for it. Well, I mean, also, we're probably going to have to make this. Hopefully, we'll keep making this podcast for the rest of our lives. Then, so we definitely have time. Okay? <laughs> well, I hope. I hope that for well, both it, of you. True, because you never know, Howard. There's going to be, you know, your great great grandkids might be like, who was Grandpa Howard? And now they'll be able to find out because they'll hear the. Oh, podcast. I think yeah. about that a lot. Our kids going back over our digital footprints. That's always an interesting one. Well, thank you so much for thank coming you. on our show. It's been a, an absolute joy. And uh, Doctor, when. Uh, since we are still on lockdown and while comedy is the best medicine is not the uh, required vaccination in the meantime where can our listeners find out more of your great works or check out some of your great works that well already you exist? can check out my website so it's www.miriamfrancois miriam with a y m-y-r-a-a-m and then francois f-r-a-n-c-o-i-s dot com uh, and if you want to check out my podcast it's called we need to talk about whiteness and you can find me on spotify and itunes and on soundcloud and also the website by the same name we need to talk about whiteness.com Thank you. Well, it, it, it's been a, a real joy, and, and, and we'll look forward to getting you back again Thank soon. You. And uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. And again, please do let us know when you'll be available for a part two. I wish we'd gone, but for more, but yeah, uh, lots of podcasts to do, a lot of information to disseminate, and a lot of work for the doctors to do. And uh, we would be remiss for us to hold you from doing your good works, doctor. So thank you so much, and the biggest salam alaikum, Wa alaikum assalam. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTiste. Our guest was Dr. Miriam Francois. You can follow Dr. Miriam on Twitter at MiriamFrancoisC or on Instagram at MyZFrancois. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. 
The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.